Hello, everyone. Welcome to my June edition of the Construction uh, Workers' Compensation webinar coming to you live here from Lois Law Firm. Uh, my name is Tashir Rasool. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm where I defend uh, construction uh, workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. That's all I do here. I work closely with the general liability defense attorneys to uh, collaborate and come up with strategies to help our wrap-up clients uh, save uh, a ton of money, reduce their exposure at the end of the day. I lead a team that handles only construction defense claims, um, all to paralegals, and the attorneys are trained in every aspect of a construction accident and know very well how to collaborate and work with our GL components. Um, I am also the author of the Construction Defense Handbook that is published by Lois Law Firm every year. It's a plain English guide for the most um, prevalent issues that we see in um, defending construction uh, claims, workers' compensation claims. If you would like to have a copy, um, feel free to give me a call or send me a message. I can send you a PDF copy or um, a physical copy if you're like me and you like to flip pages. Um, thank you for being here with me today. For those of you joining me for the very first time, welcome. If you've been watching me over the past two and a half years or so, thank you for coming back here today. So what are we gonna talk about today? And I'm actually looking forward to talking to you about this, but a little disappointed in the way the law is going now. Um, we're going to talk about privileges, disclosures, and collateral estoppel. I'm not going to go into all of the boring uh, laws and what it means. I'm just going to talk about how it comes up in the context of collaboration between workers' compensation and general liability claims, since that's the focus of these webinars. Um, there is a pending bill regarding collateral estoppel that I'll talk about um, that's one that we're following very closely, but I think it's important that we know what's potentially uh, coming to us in the near future. Um, there is also going to be a live question and answer period in the end. Uh, you'll see the box that looks like this. Just type your question in there. Hopefully it'll get to me and I'll be able to provide an answer if we still have time. All right, so let's get into it. Now, one of the common questions I have from clients, especially the wrap-up clients, is can, can we freely talk about certain information between workers' compensation and GL and the clients? And what exactly is subject to a privilege? What can be disclosed? Uh, what cannot be disclosed? And how can we use the, the workers' compensation findings to uh, do something in our general liability claim, right? Whether um, to in, increase the speed of discovery or to talk about settlement or prepare for a trial. So one of the, let, let's start with attorney-client attorney privilege. Now, this is the communication between the client and the attorneys. I think we all know about this. That's generally not an issue in workers' compensation. We never have really have anyone asking um, you know, for us to disclose any of the things that we talk to our clients about, any, any type of analyses and strategies and so forth. The one that we usually um, get a question about is the common interest privilege. And this is really when, um, so it's the attorney-client privilege when there are different parties have different lawyers but the same common interest. 
So this plays into the wrap-up scenario because for the workers' comp um, claim, you have one attorney handling the defense of that. And then for your general liability claim, um, you have a different attorney handling that. But it's the same client, right? Especially if you're still within the deductible, the money is coming from the same pocket. Um, and so that client has an interest in what's going on on the workers' comp side. The general liability side and the parties have an interest in what's going on with each other. Now, let me tell you, it's okay for your workers' comp defense attorney to be talking to your general liability defense attorney, and the client is able to talk to both of them and share information to an extent. Um, the extent being, uh, if anything is, if anything requires a release that we're going to talk about later. So definitely okay um, for the client to be talking to their attorneys about uh, the facts of the case, any any type of analysis, strategy, and action plan, um, get advice from both sides as to how we think the case is going to play out, and so forth. And that kind of privilege um, is is. Is, is maintained in this communication, and no one's really entitled to that outside of the attorneys and the client. So let's keep that in mind. Um, next, we have uh, attorney work product. So this is generally any kind of work that an attorney does in preparation for uh, litigation of the case, whether it's um, settlement or a trial or um, you know a deposition or anything like that. Now. The, the attorney work product usually comes up in the case of surveillance in the workers' compensation claims. Now, the, the client generally, or the attorney generally on the workers' comp side would request an investigator conduct investigation um, and do surveillance of the claimant. Now, as you know, under the workers' comp side of things, we do not disclose surveillance until and unless we are um, pursuing fraud or sending it to a doctor, but we can have so much surveillance and we don't have the obligation to disclose it. With the surveillance, the investigators usually also provide a written report. So if it comes time that we are actually provide, um, disclosing that we have surveillance and we're using it for fraud or providing it to the doctors, the judges or the claimant's attorney would request that we produce the reports. Now, it is our position that the report is uh, protected under the attorney work product doctrine, and a lot of times it specifically says, Dear Ms. Rasool, we conducted this investigation, and then it gives the details of the investigation. Um, we do not believe that this should be protected. Um, I'm sorry, we do not believe that this should be disclosed. We have made the argument several times in court, and the board panel has actually upheld that it is subject to um, the attorney work product privilege, and it should not be uh, disclosed. The judge should not be directed that it be disclosed. The argument, essentially, is that the surveillance videos speak for themselves, and the report is just a communication between the client or the investigator and the attorney for the purposes of litigation, which is actually 100% what it is for, all right? So if, um, if your defense attorney comes to you and says, well, the judge wants me to direct or, or to produce the uh, report that comes with the, the, the investigation or the adversary is asking that it be produced, um, they can very well assert attorney work product and uh, make arguments that it not be directed to be produced. And you would be successful in an appeal given that there is precedent at this point. Okay. <clears throat> 
qualified privilege. So we've had a case, we've had a couple of these cases uh, over the past several years or so. So this arises frequently again in the context of uh, covert surveillance. So as I mentioned, we're not under the obligation to disclose that we have covert uh, surveillance. Once in a while, the claimant's attorney would have reason to believe that we have conducted surveillance on the workers' comp side. And I mean, we, we see it quite often, the claimants, um, they suspect someone's following them or they actually, catch it, they, they actually catch the investigator and confront them and they report it to their attorney. We've, so we've had situations where the claimant's GL attorney subpoenas the workers' comp carrier or the TPA for the surveillance. Now, they, 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 they try to get it as, as part of their discovery. They're saying, well, we issued a proper subpoena for it. We're entitled to it. However, because it has not been disclosed under workers' compensation, they're not entitled to it. I will repeat that. Because it's not disclosed under workers' compensation, they're not entitled to that. We should be filing a motion to quash any subpoena for surveillance that has not yet been disclosed. Um, <clears throat> we've been successful on this. We've, our office has filed uh, the motion to quash on behalf of the, 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 the carrier and um, the motion has been granted. And it's because um, the, the workers' compensation board, the, the, the findings in the workers' compensation board is not subject to common law or any statutory rules of evidence which is why surveillance has to be disclosed on the GL side. So if you do the surveillance on the GL side and your GL attorney knows about it, they have the obligation to disclose under the rules of evidence and disclosure, right? And this is why we recommend that it being done on the workers' comp side because quite honestly, we can get some surveillance, it's not that great, we don't have to disclose it until we get something good. And that's all they really need to know. So this is something to keep in mind um, if you receive any requests, whether formal or, or informal, and you know that your attorney hasn't disclosed it or used um, any surveillance in litigation, you should be responding to it, get your attorney to respond to it, send it to us to respond to it, I will definitely file a motion to quash for you. Okay, so I don't know if you'll all be able to see everything that's written here because it's so small. Um, but if not, I can send you this after, um, after the webinar. So this is just a list of some documents that are unlikely protected in the workers' compensation proceedings. So we know the Freud and the Stroy OSHA investigations, those can be obtained and turned over. Social Security earnings uh, records, Social Security disability claims files, um, those are, I guess, protected to the extent that <clears throat> excuse me, that we actually need a release from the claimant, a signed release from the claimant to get them. Um, but it's something that can definitely be obtained. Um, union records, we get these, the claimants produce them all the time. Well, not all the time, some of the times, but we subpoena them most of the times. Uh, contracts, work descriptions, employers' internal accident investigation, medical records, and authorized treatment, which I'm going to go into a little more in a minute or two. Um, but these are generally unlikely protected, and they would be discoverable uh, during discovery. 
Now, accident reports. So on my previous slide, I had that internal accident investigation um, may, may be unlikely protected, and we would have to turn those over. But depending on the type of uh, investigation it's being done, some parts of it may be protected. Um, if we're doing a claims index bureau report, this is the ISO as part of our investigation of the, uh, of the claim, uh, the claimant cannot get access to this. Only the insurance carrier can actually pull up an ISO, get an ISO report. On-site investigations, the, and these are generally the cloaked investigations where the attorneys would go with the investigator or not, but it's being done um, for the uh, employer or the insured. These, uh, these, these would generally be protected. We're not turning over any of the reports. The witness statements are the ones that um, you, you might want to produce if you're going to produce a particular witness for a deposition or you know any sort of testimony or anything like that. It's all, it's all dependent on what it's being used for. And then surveillance of the plaintiff and claimant, um, those are the reports that we talked about. It's our position. It's part of attorney uh, work product, um, and it should be protected. Uh, but, you know, depending on the strategy of the case and what's in the information, you might want to, you, you might decide to turn it over if you think it's going to help your claim. But um, these are all components of an, like a general accident investigation that um, uh, may be protected or generally protected from disclosure, that is. All right, we also have social media investigation materials. So a lot of times the clients, when they are doing surveillance of the claimant, they would also do a social media and a background check. Um, this is, since it's covertly obtained, um, we don't have an obligation to disclose it to the claimant or his attorney until after uh, we raise fraud or use it for some kind of litigation. Um, on the GL side, though, it is revealed prior for testimony. This is the same as the surveillance, where if they know about it, they have to disclose it. Forensic experts, um, same thing, uh, except that there's no disclosure method that exists to uh, force the employer carrier to divulge that we actually have forensic reports. So depending on how you're going to use it, that's when you're going to disclose it. Um, and things like environmental studies, air quality studies, and so forth. Uh, again, there's no disclosure method to force the employer carrier to say that we have this information. We can very well use it to come up with a strategy and then disclose it whenever it's being used in litigation. All right, so a couple of things on disclosures. So the biggest one that we see is, is, is with regards to the medicals, right? And getting assigned HIPAA, the board uses its own form, the C-3.3. And while that's supposed to be sufficient, some facilities just don't accept it. They want a HIPAA. And some facilities, like a lot of uh, the, the larger hospitals, they actually have their own form that they would send to us, send to the claimant. Um, has the same information, it's just different format maybe. Um, but as you know, HIPAA is um, very, it, it, it's very important, right? Because we're talking about a claimant's uh, medical records. It contains all of the information about their health and treatment. And um, it, that's something that's very personal. However, workers' compensation is, 
is, is based on, number one, the fact that an accident occurred, and number two, the treatment that the claimant's receiving, right? Because we're paying for medical benefits, we're entitled to uh, the information pertaining to his treatment and also uh, prior treatment, because that would also factor into whether we're responsible for the injuries or the treatment or apportionment and so forth. Now, employers, workers' compensation insurance carriers, um, physicians, and other participants in the workers' comp system, they can, um, they can share uh, protected health information, PHI, in connection with the workers' compensation claim um, under, uh, because of three exceptions, right? And um, they are specifically, uh, if this uh, disclosure is necessary for the workers' compensation claim, like I mentioned, it's necessary because it is, your, your claim is based on your health condition, pretty much. It's driven by your health condition. Um, if the disclosure is required by the state or some other law, so workers' compensation law actually requires the disclosure, and if the disclosure is for the purpose of um, obtaining payments for healthcare provided to uh, uh, healthcare provided to the claimant, so these are the three reasons we're able to obtain and share to an extent. Um, the claimant's uh, medical records and the medical histories because, you know, awards are based on the treatment. Um, we need to know whether to approve or deny treatment. The providers need to get paid. So the workers' compensation law just requires it, essentially. However, in order for us to get the, the claimant's records from a facility, if it's not yet in the board file, we have to get a signed release or a signed HIPAA from the claimant. Um, facilities would not release the records, um, but the HIPAA gives them the permission to do so. On the other hand, if the records have been submitted by the claimant and his doctor and are in the board file, we have access to those. Um, there's no uh, disclosure, privilege, privacy issue there, except that we cannot then take that information and provide it to a party that's not part of the workers' compensation um, claim, right? So. We're able to take the claimant's records from the board file and send them to the IME doctor, but even though the IME doctor is technically like a third party, he is, he is part of the insurance carrier's defense of the claim, and he's entitled to see, see that information in order to make an opinion regarding the claimant's condition and the need for further treatment. So the bottom line is, um, the claimant's medical records are subject to the same HIPAA protection as any person's uh, medical records, but because of the workers' compensation claim and the nature of the workers' compensation claim, we're able to access those um, and provide them to whoever needs to get them to um, properly administer the claim. But if we're getting them from a facility, the claimant needs to provide a signed HIPAA giving us permission to get them. All right, so the HPI, the, um, I'm sorry, PHI, the protected health information, some examples of that would be the healthcare payment and remittance, um, coordination of healthcare benefits uh, to get a, a status update and the, the, the claimant's uh, treatment, uh, enrollment and disenrollment in a health plan, eligibility for a health plan, uh, health plan premiums, uh, referral certifications, and health claims attachments. All of those would be considered uh, protected health information that would require a HIPAA. So if you're trying to get any of that information for your claim, 
um, calling up a facility, you're not that that's not going to do it for you. You're going to need to get a release from the claimant. Okay. Workers' compensation records in general. So the records contained within the board file, so this is in addition to the medical records, they cannot be disclosed to the public. Um, so you'll see for if the GL attorney wants to get uh, access to the claimant's workers' compensation file, they have to submit an OC-110A, or the claimant has to like physically provide them with the records, which never really happens. Um, if some other party is interested in, if, if the claimant is this, uh, thinking about getting a new attorney, that new attorney can have OC-110A access to the file. Um, only those who have access can see what's going on in there. Um, someone off the street cannot just go and try to go into e-case. It'll specifically say you don't have access because you need permission to. Um, the exceptions, so the exceptions to the rules specifically, the employees of the board, um, the claim, to the claimant or the claimant's attorney or the representatives to the employer. So that's how the information can be transmitted. So anyone who's working with the board can give it to the claimant or the claimant's attorney um, because the, the attorney would be representing the claimant um, or to, uh, the, the, the representative to the employer um, of accident, of course. And if there's an OC-110A, um, on the file that someone needs it for, um, someone needs access for, the information can be provided to them also. Um, pursuant to contractual or statutory authority, for example, governmental agencies, judicial officers, health insurance plans, or treating physicians, they, they might need access to and they would be given access to it, again, with an OC-110A. Written permission by the claimant. Um, we've, so we've never really seen just a letter from the claimant, it's usually the OC-110A. But I guess if the claimant wants to like write a letter to the board saying, can you release my records to someone, the board would probably honor it, especially if he doesn't have an attorney. But more than likely, they'll have him fill out the OC-110A form. Um, and upon court order, a subpoena, if the records are subpoenaed, um, we've got, we, we would be able to turn them over to the subpoenaing party as long as it was done properly and legally. All right, so that's it for um, the workers' compensation records in general. This usually comes up when the client is trying to get your workers' comp and general liability counsel talking. Um, you know, so we have to be careful about what information we can share. Do they have a release for the the, the medical records, um, can we provide them with the Freud, Roy, and like the accident report, um, but what can we not provide them with? So those are all the things we need to think about. And I think that's why it's important to know the rules of disclosure on the workers' comp side and what exactly needs a release and what's okay to turn over. All right, so in terms of discovery, there's really no formal discovery process in workers' compensation which is a good and bad thing, right? I, I, um, honestly, the, the, the bulk of the discovery comes from the defense side of it. Um, when we're denying a claim or even an accepted claim or we're trying to get all of the information all of um, related to the accident, all of the prior health information, um, we need to have the witnesses and so forth. We're always requesting releases or getting to get the information from the claimants or to have the judges direct the claimant to produce the information. Claimant, on the other hand, what, they, what do they do? They submit a P at 16.2, that's 
usually pretty deficient, doesn't have any information that would help us in the defense of the claim. And if we don't ask for something, we wouldn't get it, which, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. But, you know, the claimant wouldn't even tell us, like the, in his pleadings or his C3 sometimes, who witnessed this accident or who his supervisor was, which we have to ask for that information, which sometimes delays um, our quote-unquote discovery that we undertake on the work on the, on the defense side. Um, they, the, the claimant relies on e-case, so what's there, what's not there. He tells his doctor to submit the medicals. If they submit it, it's there. If it's not there, then, you know, we try to get the judge to direct him to do it. And then it results in us having to issue subpoenas and filing appeals and so forth. So it's really not a smooth, um, it's, it's, it's not a smooth discovery process on the workers' compensation side. Um, all right. So the final thing that I wanted to talk about today is collateral estoppel. Collateral estoppel is the key to collaboration between um, workers' compensation and general liability defense. And the reason is the GL claim is found, um, it, it, it's, it's really driven by the workers' compensation claim, right? First of all, you have to have an accident. And we're saying it's a work-related accident. And then they file a third-party claim on the general liability side. And then they're off to the races, creating and trying to get all the surgeries, and then they're using that from the workers' compensation claim to bolster their general liability claim. So collateral estoppel means that the findings reached by a workers' compensation law judge um, have a binding effect in the GL claim um, as long as the issue is identical, right? So if we're talking about, like, was the claimant an employee of the employer in the workers' compensation claim and it was actually litigated, then that could be used um, under the doctrine of collateral estoppel and a general liability side. Work status, you know, if the claimant's out of work, he's out of work, or he's not returning to work, like that is what it is. If it's a finding on the workers' comp side, it can be used in the GL side. Uh, established body parts and denial of treatment and surgeries, those are the two main ones because that's what drives up the cost of the claims, both in the workers' comp and especially in the GL side. If a site has been disallowed um, or if a surgery has been denied, that's really important and that's something that's usually used by the GL defense attorney to try to push for a settlement or um, any kind of like early resolution of a claim. Now, what's happening in our little legal world? There is a pending bill to limit the effect of terminations by the, the, the workers' compensation board. Now, the bill has passed the Senate and Assembly, and it is being sent to the governor. As of this morning when I checked, I don't think it's landed on the governor's desk, desk yet. I was looking at a little timeline, the train track-looking thing. Um, it's, I, it, it's not there yet, but it, it's in the process. So the passing of the bill would mean that the terminations by the Workers' Compensation Board shall not be given collateral estoppel effect in any other action, which is a third-party action or your general liability action, um, other than determination of the existence of employer-employee relationship. What? What is this? Who is in support of this? It's, um, it's, 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 it's bizarre. It's bizarre that they would pass a law like this 
um, I think it's 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 showing us once again how in favor of the claimants the system really is, right? Because if this is passed, um, they're saying that the only thing that the only workers' compensation board determination that can be used under the doctrine of collateral estoppel in the general liability claim is that of employer-employee relationship. So if a body part has been disallowed in the workers' comp claim or a surgery has been denied, uh, potentially this bill is saying, well, that doesn't have a binding effect on the general liability claim. This is something that's going to um, bring us all back to the drawing table if it is passed. Um, we are working with clients to set forth some effort to do a, some sort of like a lobbying against this because it, 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 it really cuts, it really undermines um, the foundation of uh, workers' compensation law, I believe. Um, if we're able to properly defend a uh, work injury or have it denied or control it somehow, it, the, the claimant should not still be able to benefit um, tremendously on the general liability side when their findings showing that a surgery wasn't related to the accident or a body part wasn't related to the accident. Um, so it really, it really goes to show how even on the GL side, it's becoming even more claimant friendly now. So stay tuned. We are following this, but I think it's something we should all be aware of. You should be, your attorney should be talking to you about this if they haven't been talking to you yet. Um, ask them, like, what's going on with this? Um, what is the plan? We are in the process of coming up with a plan, of course, because we have to continue working on strategizing with GL Defense Council. Um, but we are waiting a little bit to see how it pans out and what the, the, the details are going to be. Um, but we will be doing a webinar, uh, an article. We'll be talking to our clients, reaching out directly, doing training, how to um, move forward if this actually becomes law. So just putting it on your radar. I know I'm kind of like smiling about it because I'm just like smiling in disbelief. That's what it is. I'm not happy about this, just for the record. All right, so that concludes my presentation on privileges and disclosures and collateral estoppel. Those are some um, of the main legal issues that we see in, uh, when we're collaborating with General Liability Council, and they are the focus of the questions that we get from the client. Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we release this? Can we disclose this? So I think it's good to have a nice overview of what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, all right, so next month we are going to talk about coordinating multi-jurisdictional defenses using milestones. So there are some milestones in the workers' compensation claim that um, every time it happens, it should be like a trigger to reach out to your GL uh, counterpart. And same thing in the general liability claim, when it happens, it should be a trigger to reach out to your workers' compensation counterpart. So next month's webinar is going to be on August 1st. Um, let's see if there's any questions. All right. Bear with me one second. I'm getting better with technology, everyone. I really am. Okay, I don't see any questions. Um, hold on, I think one maybe come in. 
Okay, so no, it's not. I it's not really a question. Um, okay, if you can think of anything, feel free to give me a call or send me an email. If you have any questions about this collateral estoppel bill that's in in the process, um, I'd love to chat with you about it and talk a little bit about our thoughts. Um, so feel free to contact me. Otherwise, I will see you all here next month. Um, we'll talk about um, the milestones. Uh, enjoy June. It's kind of, uh, oh, enjoy July. I'm sorry. Enjoy July. It's kind of going by quickly. Um, and I'll see you here next month. Thank you, everyone. Take care.